0: How's it going? Good. Y'all look good. It's uh It's been one of those, another one of those cloudy days where the uh, I, I kind of needed coffee all day today. You know, when the sun comes out. I'm woohoo! Just one one cup in the morning and I'm good. Days like today, it's kind of like, okay. Need one in the morning. Need one late morning. Need another one after lunch. But uh, but it's but it's been good. It's been good. So. Um, I'm glad you all are here. Um, it, uh, <laughs> it, it was brought to my attention that I totally skipped the church at Thyatira, and uh, I did, totally did, totally guilty, Put it, putting it all together, and boom, 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 and yeah, Thyatira got left. Um, I thought, wow, how did I, how did I do that? But uh, I don't know how I did that. But uh, we will go back and catch Thyatira. Okay, I promise. I promise. I'll because I'll, um, there's Thyatira had some issues. Had some issues. So we'll go back and catch them. But um, for for tonight, we're going to be in Revelation chapter four, and a bit in chapter five. Um, and what we're what uh, what we'll begin with is. Um, uh, Revelation chapter four, verse one. And I love, love, love this passage. It says, after this, I looked, and there before me was a door standing open in heaven. And the voice I had first heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. And then we get this incredible scene of heavenly worship. Um, Craig Kester who's a biblical scholar and has done a lot of really, really good work on the book of Revelation. Excuse me. Calls Revelation chapters four and five the heart of the book of Revelation. And uh, he he writes, before the visions of seals and trumpets and bowls and beasts comes the vision of worship. And it's the worship of God that begins all all of this Fantastic, you know, visual, symbolic, um, scary <laughs> uh, stuff that we're familiar with in the Book of Revelation. And Kester observes that when you go to the end of the Book of Revelation, it's another scene of worship that concludes the book. So this is the first of two bookends that uh, that that kind of uh, kind of mark the beginning and the end of all of these different visions and, and what we're going to hear, what we're going to visualize, what we're going to ponder, and what is um, going to be hard for us to even wrap our minds around. Um, it begins and it ends with worship. And really that vision of worship is what he believes, and, and I, I like what he has to say, really forms the heart of, of what the book of Revelation is about. Revelation's messages, he goes on to write, Revelation's messages of hope, assurance, warnings, confrontations, and promises are bound up in the greatness and goodness of the one worthy of our devotion, affect, affection, obedience, and trust. And so to struggling Christians then and now, Revelation reminds us that Christ is worthy, the Lamb is worthy. And so why does worship occupy such an essential place in, in time, here and now, and in eternity? And so really what, what this passage does, I think, is, is kind of gives us some, I don't know if parameters is the right word, but maybe helps us build some scaffolding so that we can make a little more sense out of what worship is supposed to be and how, how worship is to be engaged. Um, so with, with, with that in mind, let's, let's look at this, uh, this, this first point. Everything and everyone, or everyone and everything worships. Everybody worships. Everything in creation ascribes worth to something or someone. And what is worship, really? Worship is surrendering to and declaring the glory and worth of what is valued above all else. Now, we, we say, we profess that for us, that is, that is the Lord. In, in, in reality, if our profession is consistent with our, with our walk and our practice, then you know one of the things that we'll have to kind of kind of figure out is what are we surrendering to? Um, what do we uh, what what do we declare glory and ascribe worth to? What do we value, or who do we value above all else? You can kind of look at this in terms of uh, parenting. And I remember, um, uh, whenever my kids were little, long ago, they're grown. <laughs> but um, when when my kids were little, especially with Emily, our our, our firstborn, um, taking some parenting classes, and you know, with all the different things that were learned, all the different things that we talked about. The, the, the one phrase that stands out in my mind, and I remember it 25 years later, because Emily is 25 now, um, but what, what I remember more than anything is um, kids spell love, T-I-M-E. And I've never forgotten that. That jolted me, that bothered me, that, you know, and, and it, it helped over the years, um, to bring things into check, sometimes that phrase was a confrontational phrase. It was a very challenging and and uh and and disturbing phrase because there there were times when I was bringing Emily up that uh I was saying, I love you, but there wasn 't much t i m e you know um and and so <clears throat> the way that i have kind of over the years tried to apply that here is. What what is it that overwhelms and gets my 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 time and attention? And that's going to be a pretty good indicator of of what is very, very important to me. And worship, we we think of worship you know as coming into a building and 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 bowing down or 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 singing out or or and, and it is that but you you can you can kind of break the word down worth ship worship is really worth ship and what is it that we are ascribing the greatest worth to and so every single one of us arrange our lives around what we value most and what or who we ascribe the most worth to and so that's kind of a sobering thought sobering thought. Let's see what uh, John has to say. Verse 2, at once I was in the spirit and there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it and the one who sat there had the appearance of jasper and ruby, a rainbow that shone like an emerald encircled the throne. Surrounding the throne were 24 other thrones and seated on them were 24 elders. They were dressed in white and had crowns of gold on their heads. Now, this is one of the things that we've, we've, we've got to really nail down when we get into the book of Revelation like this. Um, when, whenever you, you see phrases or you, or you read phrases, actually, yeah, I think that's better. You see phrases, right? You see phrases. These phrases are intended to get you to visualize something. And if you can, have you ever had something happen and you were trying to describe it to somebody, you just couldn't find words. It was like, it was like, and, and you're trying to fill in the gaps and, and, and every, every human thing that you can come up with just seems to kind of fall short. You know, um, imagine, imagine for a moment trying to put into words what John was seeing, you know, the best he could do is, is mix his metaphors and and substitute his similes, right? You know, there's and, and so so much of what is being done here is uh, look, look look at it because if you're in some ways this it doesn't make sense. Okay, someone was sitting on it whose appearance was was, of jasper and ruby, okay? Tell me what that looks like, you know? Um, A rainbow that shone like an emerald. What does that mean? It means it's awesome. (laughs) It means it's dazzling. It means John is seeing things that are exceeding the limits of what he's able to describe And so as we move through Revelation, remember that. Remember that. And remember that we're dealing with a a very, very specific genre of literature here that is called apocalyptic. And it's highly, 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 highly visual. It's highly, 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 highly symbolic. It doesn't mean that, it doesn't mean anything. It means a lot. But we have, to be, we have to be very careful and be very aware that we're, that, that we're not trying to, to, to flatten out these, these multi layered, multi dimensional descriptions of things. Okay? So that's about all I can say about that right now, but that'll, that'll become increasingly important as we, move through, as we move through the letter. But just think about that. I mean, talk about, he's trying to describe this person sitting on the throne that is worthy of all worship. And he's he's like appearance of Jasper and Ruby, surrounded by a rainbow, like an like an emerald encircled the throne, and surrounding the throne were 24 other thrones or all these other thrones and seated on there were 24 elders, dressed in white, crowns of gold. Wow. Right? So who are these 24 elders? Okay? The number 12 is typically the, the number of God's people, you know, the 12 tribes of Israel, the 12 uh, d- disciples, these, the number 12, tends to and again, you want to hold these loosely, but the number 12 tends to be an indication of, of, of indicating God's people. And so we have two 12s here. And so one commentator, one scholar said, this is a way of representing the fullness of God's people in God's presence. That around the throne of God is not not just the fullness of God's of, of humanity, but an overabundant fullness of humanity. That works. Um, another another commentator said that this is uh, this is a kind of a, a reach back and a and a, a callback to First Chronicles twenty four four, where twenty four courses of priests are listed, kind of twenty the the the. 24 different people who, who had priestly duties in the line of Levi. Even that, though, gives, gives kind of a description of, of completeness. Here, here were all 24 of the people who served as priests during, during, from, from, the, from the wilderness wanderings onward to that present day. The complete list, if you will. And so whatever these 24 elders mean, it is, it is trying to give us a picture of a completeness of the people of God who function as a kingdom of priests. Remember, we're, we were called that, a kingdom of priests to our God. You are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, uh, a, a, a peculiar people. He doesn't know how right he is about that. Right? Uh, so that we can show forth the praises of him who calls you out of darkness. So whoever and whatever these elders are, it's some kind of representation of the completeness of humanity around the throne of God. And so from the throne came flashes of lightning, rumblings and peals of thunder. In front of the throne, seven lamps were blazing. These are the seven spirits of God. Lightning and thunder um, at at. at Throughout the Old Testament and um, in the New Testament, especially, you kind of remember at the at the moment that Jesus died, there was an earthquake and there was there there were there were things that happened that got everyone's attention. Um, This is uh, some scholars say that this is kind of a callback to what was happening on the top of Mount Sinai whenever. Moses was receiving the Ten Commandments. There was lightning and thunder, and people were like, oh, he's dead. Let's build a golden calf, you know. <laughs> he, you know he went out there literally to hear from God. There's lightning and thunder. We haven't seen Moses. He's got to be dead, so let's build an idol, you know. But before we're too tough on them, you know, they're kind of representing us. So... Um, it just goes back to the fact that we are going to worship something. We are going to give worth and value to something. Lightning and thunder um, are, are also uh, signs of power. And uh, we see throughout the, uh, the rest of the book of Revelation uh, in, chapter, in chapter 8, the seals, when the seals are broken. Um, Uh, And the seal judgments happen. They happen in the midst of of peals of lightning and thunder and rumblings. Uh, The trumpets in chapter 11 uh, are accompanied. And uh, the, the bowls in chapter 16 are accompanied by thunder and lightning. And so thunder and lightning are often used as signs of power and judgment and judgment. And so from the throne comes these flashes of lightning, rumblings and peals of thunder. In front of the throne, the seven lamps were blazing. These are the seven spirits of God. I'll come back to that. Also in front of the throne, there was what looked like a sea of glass, clear as crystal. In the center and around the throne were four living creatures, and they were covered with eyes, in front and back. (laughs) Covered with eyes, you know, um, but we serve a God who sees all. You know, He sees everything. And again, this is John's way of trying to capture what 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 he's what he's experiencing in this moment. Now, this is something that um, some of you probably probably way ahead of me on this in verse six, because I've said a few times in different sermons that um, in ancient Near Eastern literature. The ocean, the waters, the churning of waters is a, is a way of indicating chaos and uh, a lack of peace, a lack of control. And here, look at how, in what condition is, is this sea absolutely still like glass, you know? And uh, those of you who fish, sometimes you'll say, oh, man, the water was like glass, and I know when, when you know, growing up in Florida, water skiing, that's when you wanted to be out there, you know, because when it was glass, you could really see where the gators were and know not where to fall, you know. But, uh, and of course, what would you do? You'd fall right there, you know. But, um, you know, that's, uh, that, that's why I've, I've got this chunk out of my arm. I'm, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. That actually never happened. Uh, so, <laughs> I love to see the expressions, the, oh, oh you know, but um, also in front of the throne what looked like a sea of glass, clear as crystal, clear, peaceful. There is nothing chaotic. There is nothing out of control here. Okay, in the center and around the throne were four living creatures and they were covered with eyes in front and back. The first living creature was like a lion. The second was like an ox. The third had the face like a man. The fourth was like a flying eagle. The, the four living creatures if you look at how they're arranged, they kind of cover the representation of, of, of animate creation. You know, uh, people and birds and ox and cows and, 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 you know, all the creeping things that creepeth upon the earth in, in Genesis language. So it's kind of the four living creatures representing all animate creation. So around the throne, you have a representation of all of God's people the completeness of God's people and the completeness of the created order all around the throne and there's no more chaos. There's no more chaos here. Each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around, even under its wings. Day and night, they never stopped saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Day and night, this is incredible. This is an incredible scene. This is heavenly worship and, and we're just getting warmed up. He's just kind of seeing how the stage is set. Now I wanna poke the bear a little bit here, okay? When we talk about worship and I, and I, think, I think in a lot of ways churches have moved past this but I, I still hear it come up every now and then. You know, I, I know that every, all of us have our preferences for music and I, I get that, I get that. I like all sorts of music. You know, I like all sorts of music. Um, I, I, I was just telling um, Jana and Christy, um, we were talking about stuff, and they were kind of asking me what my first job was. And I said, my first job? Yeah, I remember my first job. My, my great-granddaddy owned um, my... my, my so when I grew up, my my great-granddaddy's house was here and he had a couple hundred acres and a farm and orange groves and he grew peanuts and he bowled them mm-hmm. and uh because i grew up in the south um you know and uh and and he he made his own peanut butter um uh he and his brother my uncle benny uh my Uncle Benny lived a little north, but uh, they grew tobacco and they rolled their own smokes, you know, all that kind of stuff. And so, not that I'm endorsing that, I'm just saying what they did, don't send me emails. Um, but, you know, and he raised hogs and cows and all this kind of stuff. Well, on part of his field, Well, and then, and then Glen Road cut through, Glen Road, hmm And then there was my, my Pawpaw's land, and he had a bunch of, he had orange groves on his and everything, and he had a, a, a auto garage. And that's where, uh, when, when my dad wasn't on duty at the fire station, that's where he worked and, and fixed cars. He was a mechanic. And where I learned, uh, I learned a lot of stuff about uh, messing up cars um, there. <laughs> but I, I, did, I did my best. And, and so it was, just, it was just, it was a wonderland, you know. It was just great, great, great place to, warm, uh, to, to grow up. But on my great-granddaddy's land, he had leased um, for a little radio station. It was an AM radio station there. And um, so I went in, and I just wanted to see if I could, like, you know, clean up, you know. Can I, can I just do some custodial work or whatever? I just, I just want to start earning some money. And I kind of like, you know, my great-granddaddy's land, you know, kind of got to give me a job, uh, and so, uh, so I did. I started kind of doing some cleaning and everything like that, but then they started talking to me, and, and you know, I was, I was a junior in high school, and <clears throat> they were, you know, there'd be, it was a Southern Gospel radio station, and I'd be singing along with all the songs because of my granny, because I'd cut my teeth on all that music, and um and I, you know this, you know these, this music. I said, oh yeah, yeah, because my, my granny. And, and then, so long story short, um, they actually gave me a job as a, as a DJ. So my first job was a DJ at a Southern Gospel radio station. And, and I love Southern Gospel music. I, I, I love it. And I love, and I love Christian heavy metal. I'm a big fan of Striper and I'm, and I'm going to see him uh, in two weeks. You know, if you don't know who Striper is, yellow and black spandex, big hair, and really, really loud, loud guitars and drums. Love it. Uh, their hair—they don't have as much—they ha- don't have as much hair anymore. You know, they're still rocking. They're—they're they're better than they've. I think they're better than they've ever been. But you know, I will listen to bluegrass and jazz and heavy metal and southern gospel and everything, and I, I love it all. I love it all. So when it comes to like, what's your favorite worship music? I'm like. I just love good worship music. I just want it to be done well, whatever it is. But one of the, one of the things that I, that I will hear about modern worship music that I don't think is fair is, well, it's just 7-Eleven songs. It's the same seven words 11 times and it repeated over and over and over and over again. <coughs> Revelation chapter four. Day and night they never stop saying. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Holy, holy, holy is the, and, and I've told people and they've made them so mad, I'm like, you are really gonna hate worship in heaven if you don't like repetition. you oh, to have to stand up. <laughs> yes, but you'll be jumping, you'll be dancing, sister. Yeah, no, you won't be hurting anymore. You'll be running. So anyway, that's just my thing. That's just my thing there. Just remember, in worship, I think worship is kind of like personalities. You know, for every single one of us in this room, we have different personalities. And I, 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 if we think this, hopefully we don't think it out loud. But, you know, we don't think, you know, well, extroverts are better than introverts. Or introverts are better than extroverts. You know, I, I'm, I'm what's called a functioning introvert, meaning I'm an introvert, but I have to function. I have to do extroverted things. And I love people. People just wear me out, you know, and, and that's, not, that's not a knock. It's just, it just is what it is. It's why I, 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 I go home after Sunday mornings and I, I kind of crawl into bed, you know, and I'm not really tired from teaching. I'm tired from interacting with people because that cuz I'm an introvert it takes it out of me. Extroverts they get energy from interacting with people. And I oh I I that I would love to have that superpower, but I, but I just don't. And so worship when it comes to the way that worship is expressed, it's as varied and different as personalities. And I and I love that here in this text, you you really don't we don't. We don't know if we don't know if when they sing "Holy, Holy, Holy" the Lord God, we don't know if they're doing it with banjos, pianos, or 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 electric guitars. We don't know, and I'm glad we don't know, because I don't think it matters. Uh, and I think whatever expression of worship is there, you know, you do it to the best of your ability, and you just understand everybody's different. Every, everybody's everybody's different, and um, we, we just try to. We try to do the best we can. But um, anyway, we are designed to worship. Worship is an expression of our humanity. Worship is an expression of creation itself. And uh, I love, Richard North uh, said this. He said, an awful lot of us just need to worship something. But in order to be able to worship, you have to find something outside of yourself and better than yourself to worship. And here we have Someone who is like Ruby and Jasper and, and a rainbow and, and these eyes everywhere and these creatures worshiping and these elders falling down and throwing their crowns and it's amazing, but we are gonna worship something. It's why we we like celebrities. Okay? Celebrity, the word is celebrated ones. And that's even a derivative of celestial ones. Okay? So, the etymology of that is celestials. We, 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 we tend to want to make gods out of other people because we are designed to worship. We were put here to worship. It's, uh, it's you know, my, my wife and I uh, love Downton Abbey, you know, and can't wait for the, for the new movie. Oh, we'll have tea, you know. Um, and the royals, you know, oh, oh wow, it's so good. And, or, and, or we will worship our appetites or our desires. We are going to worship something. We'll worship our achievements. We'll worship art or we'll worship education. Or in the, in the rare case of someone who's like, I don't surrender to anything. Well, of course you do. You worship control. You know, so we all worship something or someone. And what a worshiper does is they study the object of Adoration. And then they work to get into the presence of that object. And when they're in the object's presence, their whole posture changes. Participation, joy, praise, expression, and an insatiable desire to share it with others. That's what worship looks like. And so, what is it that changes your posture? What is it that draws you into participation? What, what, what is it or who is it that, uh, that brings about that joy? that expression, that insatiable desire to share it with others. C.S. Lewis put it this way in his reflections on the Psalms. He said, the scriptures in telling everyone to praise God are telling, are, are, are doing what all men do when they speak of what they care about. So when, when the Psalms tell us to praise God, the Psalms are just telling us to do what we do when we speak of what we care about. Everything and everyone worships. And that's kind of the reality of this opening scene. All of creation, all of humanity was was designed and built and created to to worship. But where and how does worship engage us? And that's the second point. Holy worship wholly engages. W-H-O-L-L-Y, wholly engages. Uh, in, in, In chapter five, verse one, Because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside this, a scroll is a this is a sealed legal document it's a will or a deed or some kind of record and where where many of the commentators land on this is this is this is some kind of representation of the will of God to be carried out by God, and worship kind of reminds us that We are dependent on Jesus to reveal his will to us and to reveal um, the next right steps, if you will, to us. And no one can do that except God alone. It can be confirmed through various ways, but there's this this plan, this will that God has, and the will of God is to be carried out by God, and we are dependent on, on God. And then in verse 8, um, when he had taken it, the one who was worthy, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb. And we're going to see in a moment, um, I, I skipped around here main, mainly to, to keep things kind of within certain, certain categories, but it's, it's the Lamb of God who is worthy. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world was the only one worthy in all of heaven and earth and under the earth to take the scroll and break its seals. And so when that had happened, I wanted to, I wanted to focus on the fully engaged worship of those who responded worshipfully to the Lamb being worthy to break the seals, uh, to open the scroll. When he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb Each one had a harp and they were holding golden bowls full of incense. And yay, John, thank you for telling us what at least one of the things represents, (laughs) which are the prayers of God's people. Yes, we know what the bowls mean, okay? (laughs) He he doesn't always tell us, but he does does tell us here. You know, so here's what the bowls mean. They're the prayers of the people. And they sang a new song. You were worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain, and with your blood you purchase for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. And this is one of the things that, this is one of the little snippets that uh, kind of points us backwards that these 24 elders uh, are, are, are possibly a, a representation of all humanity because they represent people from every tribe and language and people and nation. Um, and he, you're worthy to take the scroll. You purchase for God persons from everywhere. And so here are these expressions of worship. There's praise to him and to the lamb, to the one sitting on the throne and to the lamb. There's thanks, another expression of worship is thanksgiving, glory, honor, power, and thanks. And you see an expression of confession with John weeping. He's weeping and weeping because no one's worthy. He's definitely not worthy, but no one else is worthy. But then look at these means of worship. There's expressions of worship and the means of worship, harps, singing. There's instruments, harps, singing, um, music. There's prayer, the bowls of incense. There's the expression of truth, the, the proclamation of truth. You are worthy because you were slain. You are worthy for you created. This is this is actually preaching. We've we've kind of you know we've kind of made preaching a little bit a little bit more complicated than in the in the earlier days of the church in the earlier days of christianity um preaching was was really known as public witness you bore public witness and so that's why it's 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 interesting that um, what mary magdalene did on the morning of the resurrection when she went and told the disciples that, that Jesus was alive um, in some of the earliest sermons, recorded sermons we have of the church, what Mary Magdalene did is referred to as preaching because she bore public witness in a time when women were not allowed, were, when, when, a woman's, uh, when a woman was not allowed to make any sort of public witness. She specifically bore public witness and proclaimed a truth. And that's what preaching involved. Uh, we've made it a little more complicated. It's got to have three points, a poem, you know, and uh, like three points, ha ha, I'll give you six. Um, but that's just because I'm, I'm an overachiever. Uh, <laughs> you know, but I, I, you know, we, but ultimately, we, we see preaching, the exposition of truth being done here. You were worthy, and you're worthy because you were slain. This is public witness to what the lamb did. You were worthy for you created. This is what you did. And so worship, when you look at all the different expressions of worship, the different means of worship, and this is just in this little chunk of scripture, worship involves the whole of our being. It's not just emotion and sentiment, but it's also not just logic and thoughtfulness. And see that that's that's the thing. Um, um, Part of growing up in in growing up with all the different expressions and experiences of you know going around with my granny to when she would sing because she would sing in uh, churches that she called shouting Baptist churches, and they would shout right. Uh, And then her sister, my aunt Lennis, lived lived in Clinton, Tennessee in the hills, baby, you know. And so I would come up during summers and spend time with Aunt Linus and Uncle James and everything. And I don't know if you've ever heard of the Southern Gospel group, the McCameys. Well, the McCameys were were the people who did the music in my Aunt Linus' church. So, and, I mean, and if you've ever heard the McCameys sing, they shout. I mean, they get into it. They get into it. Well, that was, that was my granny's bread and butter. So I would go with granny and she would sing. And Woo, yeah. And, uh, and they, would, they would shout, they'd run around, scare me to death. Um, and then I'd go to kind my, my of home, my home church, and it was a little more subdued and everything. And then I'd go to work, and, um, you know, with, with my job as Southern Gospel DJ and play all these different things. And on Saturdays, I had to be at the radio station at 6 a.m. and turn everything on because it was a small AM station. So at 7 o'clock, we signed off. I played the Star-Spangled Banner, and we turned everything off. And um, on Saturday morning, I had to go and turn it on, and I got to experience the Deacon Snell show. Deacon Snell was an African-American gentleman who came in, and um, I, I didn't say anything. I just ran the board, and, and, I, and, I, and I played the records that he and, and his assistant picked out, and it was all black gospel you know, Shirley Caesar and the mighty clouds of joy and, and all that. And so those experiences and, um, and Deacon Snell and I got to be pretty good friends. And, uh, so I went, I went to, uh, his church several times and man, they had church. Nobody looked at their watch either. It was wonderful. It was wonderful. And so it was, it was just so cool. So all these different experiences, all these different experiences. And, and then, you know, my home church, uh, First Baptist Church of Auburndale, uh, after I became a, uh, you know, I came to Christ at 16 and everything, uh, and it was very heady. It was very much expositional preaching. It wasn't very emotional. Um, they actually kind of, kind of, um, uh, kind of downplayed emotion. And everything, and I kind of went through that phase where, oh, I'm much too sophisticated for all of that emotional stuff. And and but what what I've learned over the years is worship is not just emotion and sentiment, but we throw out our mind and close our mind, and it's not just intellectual headiness, and we tamp down the emotions. It's I put in your notes: worship is logic on fire a rational and emotional process leading to the realization of the worth and value of God. It's, it's, it's the heart rejoicing in what the mind is processing, you know, and it's, it's both working together, heart, soul, mind, and strength. And, and so <clears throat> uh, I kind of feel like at Northside we could probably use a little bit more emotion, probably use a little bit more, a little, little bit more fire. I think we've got the logic pretty good but I'm, 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 I'm hoping the, the spirit will stoke our fire a little bit. Um, that's what I think anyway. Y'all, y'all might think I'm crazy. Amen. All right. <clears throat> all right. Um, so holy worship wholly engages us, engages all, all of us. Third, worship profoundly changes us. You know, what happens when the infinite value and worth of God really sinks in, really sinks in? And this is where we look at the the responses of all of these different creatures and entities and things in this scene of heavenly worship. Back in Revelation 4, in verse 9, whenever the living creatures give glory, honor, and thanks to him who sits on the throne and who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They lay their crowns before the throne and say, you are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they were created and have their being. <clears throat> what changes about these? Well, we read just a few verses ago that all of these elders are clothed in white and have golden crowns on their head. Rewards. For what, we don't, we don't know. There's all different kinds of crowns that you know, are, are talked about in the Bible and, and everything like that. But whatever these crowns are for, these 24 elders, they don't hang on to them. They, they, they throw them at Jesus' feet because remember, anything that we even have to give back to God is a gift from God. And so they are changed because they keep nothing for themselves. Their only reason for being there is the grace of Jesus. So this gold crown, phew, I'm, 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 I'm here in the presence of the one and being in his presence is, is more of a gift than any object he could give me. Well, that's a change, that's quite a change from <clears throat> our give me my stuff, you know, um, tendencies. They relinquish all other objects of worth. That's kind of what it is. They cast their crowns. Worship profoundly changes us in that, and I've said this before, yes, we celebrate and we are grateful for the things we get from God. And there's nothing wrong with that. But do we value the things we get from God over and above God himself? And that's something we all really have to wrestle with and have to really think about. there's a friend, of, a friend of mine named Show Baraka, and he's a he's a Christian hip hop artist. And one of the lyrics in his uh, one of his songs uh, says, "I didn't love God, I just love God's things." I'm like, oh wow, that I mean, that hurt. That that got to me. I'm like, ooh, ooh, come on, Show, stop being so uh, prophetic. <laughs> Quit preaching. You know, um, I do the preaching, Show. You listen to me. You know, and, uh, <laughs> but it was hard. And so the question for me and for you is, what is it? That if it were gone from our life, we couldn't live without? That's your crown. And worship of God calls us to a radical reorientation of our life. Not around whatever that crown is, but around the Lord himself. Um, the other change is, it, we're called to take up our calling. Okay, and in verse 9 of chapter 5, They're singing a new song, and here's what the song is saying. You were worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain, and with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people on the earth. You have made them, verse 10, here's the punchline. You have made them to be a kingdom kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. A kingdom of priests, representatives of God's people. And what I, what I love here is you have this heavenly scene, but the heavenly scene has earthly significance because you've got to remember this, this is all being read to people who are right in smack dab in the middle of some really rotten persecution here on earth. And this heavenly worship is a representation of, 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 of what we get to experience and do um, kind of in, in, a, in, a, in a smaller way. What we do in worship here is a uh, <clears throat> kind of a dress rehearsal, if you will, and, and a dim reflection of the worship that's taking place in glory. And so when we worship here, it's, it's kind of a dim reflection of that. But it reminds us of what it is that we're supposed to be doing here. We're a kingdom of priests to serve our God. A peculiar people, a holy priesthood, or a, a, a priesthood, a holy nation, and what priests do—they don't—they don't walk around with, with with collars on. You know that's not the extent of being a priest. A priest is someone who who represents, who 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 acts on behalf of people in the presence of God, and who act on God's behalf to people. We're ambassadors. It's probably a better word for it than priest but priests intercede. That's basically what a priest is supposed to do. A priest intercedes. And so we have the ministry of intercession and reconciliation here while we're here. And so for the people who were, who were undergoing so much uh, whenever Revelation was, was first circulated and read and understood, it goes back to that whole thing of no matter how bad it gets, you have a purpose. Your time here on earth is not being wasted. Um, your ministry, your life makes a difference. And it doesn't make a difference he, just here. It literally echoes and reverberates in, in eternity because what you're doing here is a reflection of what's happening and what's going on and what we will fully and finally and ultimately experience forever in, in, in glory. And so it reminds us of something that I think is very important. You've heard, me say, and you've heard me say this before, and it's in your notes, that salvation is not the end for the Christian. And here's what I mean by that. Coming to know Jesus, that's not it. That's, that's not, oh, we're done. Oh, well, I'm good. Got my fire insurance, and now I kick back and wait for Jesus to come back. No, salvation is not the end. Salvation marks a new beginning that enables us to make an impact. Being made a kingdom of priests indicates that Jesus did not call us to irrelevance, but to become his agents in this world. So, <clears throat> I like to say we we raise heaven and we raise hell. R A Z E. No emails, I didn't cuss, all right? But we raise heaven and we raise hell, that's how we live in this world. That's our job, those are our marching orders, that's our ministry. It's not just to kick back and wait and say, well I hope Jesus comes back quick so you know I can get out of here. Um, I want Jesus to come back too. Um, but as long as he tarries, we have plenty to do. We, we have a lot to do here. And that ministry and, and, and notice, he didn't just say the, those who are a kingdom of priests are people who enter vocational ministry full-time. No, it's, it's all y'all. It's all of us working together. So worship profoundly changes us because we reorient our lives around what is really important, and we take up the calling that, that God has placed before us. And then last thing here, the lion is a lamb worthy of worship. This is probably one of my favorite Um, um, literary sleights of hand that you see in scripture. And it's not deceptive in any way. It's just just so cool, okay? So in um, chapter five, verse five, and this is right after John has been weeping because no one in all heaven and earth and under the earth has been found worthy to open the scroll. Then one of the elders said to me, do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. Then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain, standing at the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. The lamb had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. I'll I'll come back to that. He went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. So the four living creatures and the elders, and then the, the, lamb, the lamb is there. Okay, the lamb had seven horns. The horn is a symbol of power, according to Psalm 132, 17. Um, the horn is a symbol of power, and this lamb has seven of them. So this is not a meek lamb. This is a conquering lamb. But, but again, do you see that juxtaposition in terms? You know, like a lamb who was slain, but he's also a lion. Which is it? Yeah. You know, he's, he's, he's a lion. Well, he, yeah, but he's a lamb. And, and what, what I love is that he hears about a lion, but he looks and sees a lamb. And that's, that's on purpose. The lion is hearkening back to the, the old, you know, the, the messianic prophecies that the Messiah uh, will, will, be, will be the Lion of Judah. The Lion of Judah, the lion from the tribe of Judah. And, and we think, oh yeah, the lion, the lion's gonna kick butt and take names, right? And ah, oh, it's, and you've seen the Chronicles of Narnia, you know, the Aslan, the lion, and when Aslan roars, it reverberates through all of Narnia, it's great, I love that. And he looks and he sees a lamb. Who's a lamb gonna beat up? The, a lamb is not that smart, and very, very, very meek and weak. And th- the lamb is who overcame. You know, the, the lion who is a lamb. Anyway, uh, let, me, let me read this Psalm 132, verse 17. Here we go, Psalm 132, 17. There I will cause the horn of David to spring forth. I have prepared a lamb for my anointed. Okay, so a horn to spring forth from David. David being, you know, King David, that power, that authority, that kingship. Well, this lamb has seven horns, a sign of completion, complete and total power. Seven eyes, okay. All seeing, the seven spirits of God. What's interesting about that is um, the seven, uh, the, the, the Messiah is expressed, the, 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 the one coming as the Messiah, according to Isaiah 11, 1 through 3, the Messiah will come and will express the Spirit in seven distinct ways. And so in, in Isaiah 11, um, I marked it, there it is. Then a shoot will spring from the stem of Jesse and a branch from its roots will bear fruit and the spirit of the Lord will rest on him okay the spirit of the lord the spirit of the spirit of the lord spirit of wisdom understanding counsel strength knowledge and the fear of the lord and so that's kind of a throwback or reach back to you know this way that the the the, the root of jesse, this this root that will come out of Jesse um, is is going to be one these are the, these are the seven different ways that his spirit is that the spirit of God is going to be expressed in what he does. Well, this is what you have here in the seven spirits of God, and in the lamps earlier, that are the seven spirits of God which have gone out into the earth. And so it's just describing this lamb is the one who's been prophesied. This lamb is the one that you've been waiting for that you've been reading about that you've been that you've been waiting for this whole time. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. So worship is surrendering to and declaring the glory and worth of what is valued above all else. It's not enough to worship just anything. Only the lamb is worthy. And that's why it says in the midst of the throne, not the throne itself, but in the midst of the throne, in the middle of these creatures, in the middle of all this incredible scene of power and pomp and splendor and glory and power and honor and majesty and lions, what is at the center of it? A lamb. And not just a lamb, a lamb lamb, (laughs) looking as if it's been slain. God achieves his purpose not, uh, by over uh, God achieves his purpose by overthrowing the powers of evil through a slain lamb. Craig Keener is a is a wonderful, wonderful New Testament scholar. And I I read I read so much of his work and became a big, big, big fan. And, and I, wrote him, I wrote him an email one time, and he wrote me back. And sent me a friend request on facebook and he wishes me happy birthday on my birthday and i'm like dr keener (laughs) Um, but he is he is one of the kindest people i've ever i've i've ever uh, interacted with and we haven't met in person yet but we're working on it um but anyway, Craig Keener wrote an incredible commentary on the book of Revelation, and his most recent work on Revelation is a book, and I've got it in my library, and it's called uh, Who's Afraid of the Antichrist? And it's really, really, really good stuff. But anyway, Craig Keener uh, wrote the quote that, that I have there in your notes, Jesus conquered not by force, but by death, not by violence, but by martyrdom. The lion is the lamb. The lion is the lamb. And so ultimate worship is seen in all of creation, remember the four living creatures, and uh, all of humanity, the 24 elders, <clears throat> surrendering to and declaring the glory and worth of the lamb of God. The question is, is that lamb the alpha and omega of, 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 of our life? So I want to read this, this last part of the text as a benediction. Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels numbering thousands upon thousands and 10,000 times 10,000. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. I mean, imagine this scene. You've got the one who sat on the throne like jasper and rubies and the, the rainbow like, like an emerald and the 24 elders, and the four living creatures, and they're dressed in white, throwing their crowns at the feet of Jesus, and he hears about a lion, he sees a lamb, and now innumerable angels are surrounding what's already been surrounded, and in the midst of it all is this lamb. And all were saying, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in the sea saying, to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb, be praise and honor and glory forever and ever. Wow, wow. I can't wait to get there, but I love the fact that we're reminded that we get to participate in a dress rehearsal for that. And we get to be part of a very, very dim, but very real reflection of that every time we get together for worship. So just keep that in mind when we get, well, keep that in mind when we get together Sunday. And let, let's stoke the fire a little bit here at Northside, you know, and my granny used to say, you know, well, tell you what, son, if that doesn't light your fire, your wood's wet. And uh, so let's let's get rid of the wet wood and let's let's stoke the fire. Not because everything's okay, not not because everything is okay. We got crazy stuff happening in this world, scary stuff happening, uh, egregious stuff happening, and violence and all that kind of stuff. And how do we know that God understands? Because God came to us in the person of Jesus and is represented in glory as a roaring lamb as a lamb who was slaughtered and in his shed blood forgiveness is real restoration is real and victory is victory is secured and yeah if that doesn't light your fire your wood's wet so let's, let's, let's pray on that and then um, I'll uh, open up for questions after prayer Lord we worship you and we praise you and we do that knowing that we do that, we, we worship you in a world where there, there's a lot of stuff going wrong. And so, Lord, we worship in the midst of the mess and we worship in hope. And, Lord, we have hope in you that should the worst happen to us in this world and we close our eyes in death here, we, we open them in your presence and our faith becomes sight. But Lord, in the meantime, help us to take seriously uh, your calling on our lives to be a kingdom people, uh, a people who intercede, um, a people who are ambassadors of of your kingdom and help us to share that message of hope with everyone we meet and help us to remember that hope in the the good days and and in the lousy days knowing that in both, you're with us. When we feel like death warmed over, Lord, (laughs) remember that we follow you, the lamb who was slain and who was overcome. And we overcome by the blood of that lamb and by the word of the testimony that we have because the lamb of God has taken away our sin. We praise you for that, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. Questions, thoughts? Kevin, you're crazy. Yes, ma'am. I have a funny story. Yeah. Ron and Don were witnesses now. Well, be careful. Be careful. You don't tell stories on somebody else now. I heard that Campbell was too. Uh-oh. I thought he was going to roll down the hill. It was a graveyard. Look out, Gary. Horace, his mother, she died. And he said, oh. She said she'll be coming around the mountain. (laughs) She sang all five verses. Yeah. So at the funeral, we just had a graveside service and we sang a few hymns, but then the last thing we did, we sang all five verses and she'll be coming around the mountain. Oh, that's sweet. That is sweet. Yeah. I thought Gary was going to roll down the hill could see him. He was way back there and he was just dying laughing. Oh, that's good. Yep. It it's interesting. There's this. There's this. To show you how much of a nerd I am, I, I I I actually study humor, like like study the the philosophical and and psychological underpinnings of humor. I need help, but um, but there there is this form of humor called mirth, mirth, M-I-R-T-H. And the first time I read the word, uh, the, the word mirth was in reference to the character Gandalf in The Lord of the Rings. And I'm like, mirth, you know, he was, Gandalf was known as a person of great mirth. And yet, Gandalf, he wasn't a goofball. And it's not that he didn't take things seriously. He took things very seriously. But his, his belief in good overcoming evil was, was so settled and so set that he had this ability to, to kinda laugh in the face of death, not because he wasn't taking evil and death seriously, but because he was taking uh, redemption and hope so seriously. And I, I think what, what reminded me there is when, when, we, can, when we can laugh, not in a disrespectful way, but laugh and, and find humor. I'll put it that way. When we can find hopeful humor, even in the midst of death, we've 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 found mirth. You know, mirth. And it's that, that made me made me think of that. This has been the most personal uh have He said it's and what we're going yeah. to find, as, inter, as, as weird as it may sound, what we're going to find in Revelation coming up is some of the ways that the beast and the false prophet and the dragon are described are actually literary devices that are specifically intended to, to be mocking and humorous. And it's going to be that right in the middle of all kinds of You know crazy stuff so anyway there's that any any anything else any other questions or thoughts or yes ma'am so we just don't worry about all the eyeballs and wings (laughs) the the eye the eyeballs all the eyeballs you know they're covered with eyes Is a way of saying that there is nothing there is nothing that escapes the sight of 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 the lord and uh you know that these these different things are full of eyes. It's just God sees it all, and that the, the different wings. There are a million different directions we could go with wings, um, and and it comes into play later on in Revelation. There's more and more of that, but usually six wings is going to be um, going to be something where with two they cover their faces, with two they fly, and with two they cover their feet, and it's so the six wings. Are, are symbols of these created beings uh, because they're so close to the throne and presence of God. Their 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 faces and their feet are covered, and uh, and then I guess with two they're they're flying. Um, and we we get that that similar description in Isaiah's um, Isaiah's vision. I think it's in Isaiah six in Isaiah's vision um, of the Lord being high and lifted up. So it's these are these are creatures of great great power, and yet they are um, they are kind of not even able with all that power to handle handle the uh, the glory. That's that's there, and there, but there's more more on that to come. Yeah, absolutely. It, it, it's 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 no accident that in the Bible, whenever people ran into angels, they're all falling down like dead people you know i mean if i saw something like that i'd i'm out and the angels were going don't be afraid don't be afraid don't be afraid are you kidding me i'm scared to death have you seen yourself you know so yeah anything else all righty well we will uh we'll do this again next week and i'll, I'll uh, i will I, I i will uh get my act together and uh and and write write a bible study on thyatira since i just I guess I just didn't like them. I don't know. But uh, no, I'll I'll circle back to Thyatira. um, And remember, if you have other questions, you can always email me, kevin at northsidejackson.com. Thank you. We'll do it again next week.